1: Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Wednesday, happy hump day. We're halfway through the week, and it only feels like two days. Oh, that's because we were on vacation on Monday. Anyway, awesome show. Guess who's back in studio with us, brightening up the place, Shamika Michelle. Round of applause, Shamika's here with us. That is awesome. Uh, Royce White's gonna join us here shortly. Anthony Walker, TJ Moe, fantastic show for you today. Look, I I was thought we would just keep descending, descending, descending into this. And on Thursday, on the first day of of Pride Month, we would get there and we just, because I'm just, I'm going to attack this issue. But they're forcing me to attack it every day leading into Pride Month. And uh, we're going to do it again today. Great show, great fire starter for you. Let's uh, get right into it. Uh, Watching the Dodgers Pride Night fiasco unfold, I'm reminded of the Breaking Bad episode, Half Measures. We love half measures, humans do, Christians do. If we need to drop 30 pounds, we'll lose 15 and call it success. We'll shack up and share expenses rather than get married. Rather than buy the car we can afford, we compile credit card debt and expose ourselves to usury. At the conclusion of season three of Breaking Bad, the protagonist, Walter White, wrestled with the unending problems caused by his drug-dealing partner, Jesse Pinkman, a recovering drug addict. A third partner, Mike the Cleaner, the hitman for him, he advised White to avoid taking another half measure in solving their Pinkman problem. Mike, a former cop, told a story about a serial wife beater who eventually turned into a murderer. Mike regretted the half measures he took in trying to solve the problem. Mike wanted permission to kill Jesse Pinkman. Walter White chose a different path. It wasn't a half measure. He chose a bigger problem. In order to save Pinkman, White declared war on Gus Fring, New Mexico's drug kingpin. Clayton Kershaw, Blake Trinan, Trevor Williams, Anthony Bass, and all the other baseball players bothered by the Dodgers' embrace of the perpetual sisters of indulgence during Pride Month are in the process of learning there's a bigger problem than LA's most beloved sports franchise. It's a realization that all Christians must accept. The global economic agenda promoted by the World Economic Forum is the enemy of all Christ-centered religious faith. The Dodgers prioritize the same diversity, equity, and inclusion values as Target, Bud Light, North Face, and Chick-fil-A. The owners of the Dodgers aspire to receive a high rating on their corporate equity, uh, sorry, corporate equality index the business credit score that helps determine how much funding they'll receive from the central banking system. CEI is designed to enforce LGBTQIA inclusion in the workplace. Corporations are financially incentivized to celebrate and promote the Alphabet Mafia agenda. Globalist bankers have rigged the system to favor the LGBTQ. Kershaw and Trinan, pitchers for the Dodgers, want their team to cancel the Pride Night invitation extended to the demonic Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, a group of gay drag queens who ridicule Catholic nuns and mock Jesus with sex acts. Here's what uh, Kershaw had to say. I don't agree with making fun of other people's religions. It has nothing to do with anything other than that. I just don't think that no matter what religion you are, you should make fun of someone else's religion. So that's something I definitely don't agree with. Trinan issued a statement that read, in part, I understand that playing baseball is a privilege and not a right. My convictions in Jesus Christ will always come first. Since I have been with the Dodgers, they have been at the forefront of supporting a wide variety of groups. However, inviting the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence to perform disenfranchises a large community and promotes hate of Christians and people of faith. This single event alienates the fans and support of the Dodgers, Major League Baseball, and professional sports, end quote. Bass, a pitcher for the Toronto Blue Jays, he shared an Instagram video of a young man quoting the Bible to argue that Christians should boycott Target, and Bud Light over their promotion of transgenderism.
0: Let's watch the video. Here's the reason biblically why I believe Christians ought to be boycotting Target and Bud Light and any other corporation that's pushing the things they're pushing. I think a lot of people make this into a political issue or they say, oh, what's the big deal? If you know, Is it really gonna make that big of a difference if I'm shopping there or not shopping there? Here's what the Bible says. It tells us what to do as Christians in Ephesians chapter five. It says this. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful to even talk of the things that they do in secret. So what does that mean to take no part? Well, what's Target do? It's a business. They they make money. They sell things. And to take part in that is to take part in that God of Mammon that they're serving and to take part in the darkness that they're purveying and getting out to the world and, and, and shoving into children's faces. And to take part in that is to give them your money. And I believe the Bible gives us radical precedent to say, no, we are running from that. And to instead, instead expose those things, to, to, to shout it to all the people that have ears to hear that this is evil. This is demonic. We won't stand for it. We're not gonna go to the stores anymore and we're not gonna give them our money. We're gonna let our voice be heard so that people can see the light and so that people can be pulled out of the darkness. That guy's name
1: is Ryan Miller. He's got an Instagram feed called Dude With Good News and it clearly inspired Anthony Bass. He retweet or he shares it over Instagram. Uh, but the Blue Jays uh, quickly made uh, Anthony Bass come out and apologize for sharing his biblical values. Let's watch the apology. I recognized
2: yesterday, uh, I made a post that was hurtful to the pride community, which includes friends of mine, and close family members of mine, and I am truly sorry for that.
3: Um, I just spoke with my teammates, took and shared with them my actions yesterday, and I apologized with them. And as of right now, I'm using the Blue Jays' resources
2: to better educate myself, to make better decisions moving forward. Uh, the ballpark is for everybody. Uh, we include all fans at the ballpark and we, we wanna welcome everybody. That's all I have to say. Thank you. Yeah, he's
1: going through a re-education program. You know, things communists do. The, the Blue Jays are going to re-educate this man and he, they're working with him to get him to promote their values. Social media influencer Robbie Starbuck, a former Hollywood producer and director with deep connections to major league players, shared over Twitter that baseball players have asked the MLBPA, the Players Association, to intervene. Many players are reportedly concerned about the league using them to promote social and political issues. All of this, it's all half measures. The Dodgers and the Blue Jays, they're not really the problem. Neither is Bud Light or Target. It's the system. This is why each day, and I'm about to pivot here, it gets more and more difficult for me to disavow Donald Trump. His America First slogan and agenda awakened me to the dangers of globalism. Would I prefer that Donald Trump not publicly criticize Kayleigh McEnany, his former press secretary? Secretary, absolutely. But I'm not going to lose sleep over a tweet on True Social. We have bigger problems than Trump's fragile ego, ego, and lack of social media discipline. Central bankers have rigged the system to destroy America's founding principles and turn this country secular. As best I can tell, there's only one 2024 presidential candidate crazy enough to do anything to stop those central bankers. And I'm not saying he will. I'm saying he's the only one crazy enough to even try. That's not a knock on Ron DeSantis or Robert Kennedy, Jr. I like them both. But are they America first? Did they open our eyes to the real enemy? Obviously, Trump is imperfect on a wide range of issues, including the LGBT stuff. He's imperfect. But never forget, he created the environment that made us question everything we're being told. He helped us to see what what a full measure looks like. Globalism is our enemy. The de-emphasis of American values is destroying our country. The bankers desire a one-world government and a godless culture. They've printed and passed out enough money to persuade athletes, celebrities, and fake journalists to sell the virtue of a secular society. Their scheme is working. maybe it's worked. Christians can no longer afford half measures. We have to declare war on the globalists. That will likely require Clayton Kershaw and others to walk away from their playing careers. That's a big ask that few of them will make. There's a big ask for people like me and the rest of us. We may have to abandon our love of sports. May have to just give it up. I, I find the whole thing, offensive, all of it, the the sports world, their control of athletes, their manipulation of athletes, the radical materialism, when I think about it, when I unpack it, when I I, this morning as I was thinking about this and writing about this, I, I just like I knew that athletes were overpaid, but it's like now I understand why. They're puppets. They're paid actors and performers and actors and performers, the whole entertainment industry. Everybody's overpaid to stay on a script and to create this incredible divide that we have. Because this is what communism and Marxism does. It creates a super elite and rich and then everybody else. It's good to a small, tiny percentage of Americans that are willing to bend over or take a knee and swallow whatever uh, to make it in Hollywood or in the music industry. Or you're born with some kind of physical gift that makes you a professional athlete, and then they'll pay you off to join their team. That's what's happened. Hollywood has always been this way. With the rise in the importance of sports, they've decided, hey, we're gonna overpay all these athletes, make them super wealthy elites, and, and they'll be influencers, and they'll promote all this anti-American, godless sentiment, as well as the stars in Hollywood and the people that we decide to put on TV. We're, we're gonna, no different than, I've walked away from virtually all television. I mean, I I just, my TV, I. I Again, only TV I really watch is sports, but I may have to give that up, and that's really tough for me. My whole life has been based around sports, but I feel like I have no choice. This... Global agenda and who's all in on it and who's all getting paid off. Clayton Kershaw and these guys, and I'm not going to beat them up because I have sympathy for them. Those kind of golden handcuffs are hard to take off. But when you've made two, three hundred million dollars, how much more do you need? How much more do you need? When is enough enough? It, this, this <laughs> I've always taken satisfaction in being financially well off. And I'm now going the other direction where I, I, I kind of despise it. And <laughs> I mean it's crazy to think, but but I I mean it makes me think about, you know, a camel going through the eye of a needle and and just I just don't think I can get to heaven with a bunch of money in my pocket. I can't serve God with a bunch of money in my pocket are are thinking about how can I make more and more money it, it it and I don't think poverty is some sort of blessing or some sort of virtue, but great wealth is just it's very corrosive and and that doesn't mean hating on the wealthy or or you know i I see people that have made good livings and earned money and done things the right way and still have the right but I'm looking at all of them. At the end of the day, they just all sell out. All the NFL owners, all the NBA owners, I'm sure some of them all came up with good values. I, I respect them. But it's so obvious. When, when Chick-fil-A is selling out, mm-hmm. it's time to just raise the white flag. Yeah, I was shocked by that. Yeah, I, I just... Chick-fil-A, they got all the right values, or we yeah. thought, and they sold out. Yeah. It, it, I'm going to invite uh, Shamika and Royce into the conversation, but before I do that, I want to talk about uh, our partner that will never sell out and has never sold out, uh, Preborn. Uh, I'd like to take a minute and have a heart-to-heart with you. If you're able, place your hand over your heart. Can you feel it? I know I can. My strong heartbeat reminds me that I'm alive. See, it's the same for unborn babies. The heart begins to form at conception, and at just three weeks is already beating. At five weeks, a baby's heartbeat can be heard on ultrasound. That's where preborn steps in, Rescuing 200 babies every day from abortion simply by providing a mother with a free ultrasound and allowing her to hear her child's heartbeat and see their perfectly formed body in the womb. By six weeks, eyes are forming. By 10 weeks, a baby is able to suck his, his or her thumb. Pre-born needs our help to save these precious souls. For just $28, you can be the difference between life or death for a baby. If you become a monthly sponsor, you'll receive stories and ultrasound pictures of the lives you help rescue. All gifts are tax deductible, and 100% of your gift goes toward saving babies. To donate, just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, keyword baby, or donate securely my way, preborn.com slash Jason. That's preborn.com slash Jason. Be a good fearless soldier, support preborn, part of our mentality and worldview here at fearless send me an email when you do
2: hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting
4: to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price
1: Priceline. All right, uh, Royce, uh, I see you're all dressed up today. Uh, You got a look on your face like, I told you so. And I don't blame you. (laughs) (laughs) I finally am all the way there, Royce. You got to be happy. I understand the central banks, the evilness of it, how they rigged the system. I'm all the way there. What do you think? What is the solution? What can these athletes do? I sitting around blaming the Dodgers or it seems kind of pointless to me. There is a much bigger enemy out here.
2: Yeah, they 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 don't understand that the entire you know the entire lifestyle that they live from you know root and branch so to speak is is the evil that they mean to condemn. I mean, the whole thing is the, is the evil. They, they seem to think, you know, when the guy says, well, I don't think anybody should make fun of any religion, he accepts the premise that secularism, scientism, corporatism aren't religions themselves. They're all religions. And the one religion that is obviously under attack is Christianity. Christianity. And the old thing, the whole thing is meant to undermine Christ since the inception of the scientific method after the Renaissance, after the Enlightenment, and, and Rene Descartes and all these, you know, let's bridge the gap between man and science. As science has shown us more and more that there's a unique and 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 intelligent design to the human existence and to the entire cosmos, they still don't want to affirm God. Doesn't that call the bluff on the scam to begin with? The more science shows us that there must be divine hands on our existence. They still won't affirm God because it was never meant to bridge the gap between man and God in the first place. It was always meant to subvert God. Okay, so they, they, don't, they don't understand it. I mean, they just, they clearly want things to go back to normal. And it's not just them, you know? I love to say it's just them, the athletes. Oh, let's throw down on the athletes. No problem. I gave, a, I looked right in David Stern's face and the entire NBA institution that would have surely given me $300 million had I put on a dress. I looked at the entire institution and said, you can keep your money. Go ahead, keep it. I don't need it. We'll figure it out. Me and my people will figure it out. They want things to go back to normal, and it's not just them. It's the McCarthys. It's the Ron DeSantis's. It's a lot of people out here, a lot of conservatives, a lot of 501c3 Christians with their tax exempt status. They want things to go back to normal. It's never going back to normal. There is no back to normal. All there is— is a two-front war. There's a two-front war, there's an arms race on the global stage, and there's a race for supremacy and political control here at home, domestically. Two-front war, and we gotta fight both fronts at the same time.
1: What do you think of my take that I come away from this like, yeah, I'm I'm gonna be patient with Donald Trump here. Uh, I, I just haven't seen anybody else demonstrate to me that they're even capable of engaging in this war. And I'm not saying that Donald Trump is all in on the war, but he's capable uh, uh, of being all in. I don't see DeSantis as a legitimate option.
2: But DeSantis works for, he's, I mean, come on. I can't even get, I can't even, I can't even continue to give it any merit that Ron DeSantis is in any, in any way a feasible option. He's not. He's what. Look at who's backing him. Look at who's raising the money. Look at who's going out of their way to support him. The RNC, the outer bastion of new world order. They're all behind him because he's the more palatable version of Donald Trump. That's it. He can appeal to suburban white women and where he can appeal to suburban white women is a part of his character that says Donald Trump's too extreme, or there's a line out there that's too extreme. And that whole line, that whole narrative that whole boomer post World War II democratic uh, world, uh, democratic liberal world order, is meant to preserve the status quo. The great lie here, again, Jason. The great lie here is this. The great lie here is that the America's dominance, America's supremacy on the world stage, is based on our currency. It's based on the U.S. dollar being the reserve currency. It's a lie. The reserve currency is the top dog because after World War II, our military in the West had military dominance. Where our dollar is, our military is. Where our dollar is, our military will come and we will shoot shit up to preserve our national interest. The national interest is the military itself. And now we're in an arms race. That's what we're doing in the Ukraine. That's why Ron DeSantis backpedaled on his stance on the Ukraine. And Donald Trump continues to be what they call extreme or controversial. In his position around the issue, we just want peace, which is similar to the president down there in South Africa who said, we'll listen to Putin if he comes. We're obligated to. He's a world leader. We're not beholden to the—we're not—we are not bound by the ICC, the International Criminal Court. We're constrained by it, but we're not bound by it. We're our own nation with our own people and our own, our own agenda, our own sovereignty. And, and again, my, the reason I'm bringing that up is we are in the Ukraine right now. Lindsey Graham says, oh, $200 billion the best money we ever spent. Uh, Lindsey Graham, globalist to the max. What is he saying? Why is he saying $200 billion is the best money we've spent in the Ukraine? Because they know we are in an arms race, and who comes out the other side of that arms race gets to redefine the next, the fourth industrial revolution of monetary policy around the world. Because the military is the juice. Okay, now do I agree with them? No. But we as Christians, conservatives, patriots, MAGA do need to understand we are in an arms race and we have to win two wars now because we jerked off for long enough. Everybody needs to be able to jerk off in 8K. It wasn't good enough to jerk off the nudie mags. It wasn't good enough to jerk off, you know, with your binoculars and being a peep in time. That wasn't good enough. Now we gotta do it in 8K. And 50% of the internet is porn, so we are jerk-offs. It's not that the 200 billion. What what he's saying is, who's going to come out of the arms race is going to dictate the monetary policy going forward. They're going to dictate the monetary policy, and what's happening right now is two world superpowers are displaying their military capacities for each other in a in a in a, in a theater called the Ukraine. That's it. And we have to win both wars because we jerked off too long. We got to win the war that arms race. We do have to win it. Because we know what will happen if the Chinese take over. We'll all live under a totalitarian slave system. We know that. We know that because the Chinese are doing it to their own people there in China now. We know what will happen if Russia takes over. You can never trust the Russians. Period. You just can't trust them. We know what will happen if we win and the globalists keep control. They'll use China as the scapegoat to leverage their already totalitarian system against the entire rest of the world that's bought into the manufacturing consumer base. The consumerism. We know what will happen if all these people win. So we have to win the arms race, and we have to win here at home politically. And Ron DeSantis is working for the central bankers, or they believe he will do their bidding. And the war in the Ukraine is their interest. Do you think the same
1: can be said of Trump?
2: Donald Trump has tried to navigate politics with people around him that I wouldn't have trusted, that I'd certainly— Many people said we're bad from the jump, but he comes from, you know, he he comes to politics. What what you have to what you can criticize Donald Trump about is the same thing that in the end ends up being an advantage for him and not becoming completely consumed by the machine. And it's a big machine. And I'm not saying he hasn't made mistakes, certainly when it comes to picking people around him. But I mean, imagine. Imagine you come from being an entrepreneur into the wide world of corrupt politics. Who can you trust? So you do what any reasonable person would do. You trust the people who've been around you, who you have some type of personal connection to, whether it be through an associate or some type of business dealing in the past, a lawyer, whatever the case may be. And I think that's what Donald Trump has done in most part. And and it's been a huge, a huge uh, pitfall. And that's why a lot of people can look at him and say, hey, you're the same guy. But look at who the energy is directed to bring down. Why? Why do they want to bring him down? Why are they so invested in taking him out? Are they bringing up? You think Ron DeSantis doesn't have some sexual assault scandals in his closet? Why aren't those popping up in Florida? Why aren't those popping up? Why are there no sexual assault civil cases popping up on Ron DeSantis? It doesn't take anything to accuse anybody anymore. I mean, we got to look at this thing for what it is. They're going to use the Me Too movement. Which is the LGBTQ movement? Which is the Black Lives Matter? All things are white supremacy movement to try and take this guy out. That has to speak to something, in my opinion. That's all the certainly, signal I need.
1: It, it, it certainly speaks to me. That that's I, I'm not. People today, the past 24, 48 hours have been melting down because Trump criticized Kaylee McEnany, uh. and and. And and I get it, pretty little white girl, and why is Trump criticizing her and everybody's white knighting and you know standing up for and and, and I like her. Mm-hmm. But I don't care that Trump criticized her on true social. I, I've said forever uh about me and social media and Twitter, judge my columns, enjoy my tweets or whatever. Right. The the, the stuff Trump says. On social media, just I, I just don't pay it a lot of attention. But everyone, oh, this is the act of betrayal, and everyone's like, oh, this is why we got to trust Ron DeSantis because Trump criticized Kelly McEnany. I, I just can't go there.
4: Yeah, and for me, I agree with Royce when he was saying that Trump has chosen some wrong people around him. I think that was my frustration with him during his presidency, that it seemed like every time I turned around, somebody was coming against him and and writing a book about it. But I, I do think it speaks volumes to the fact that He's the one that they're after and so they can get to these people that are supposedly close to to him and get them to turn on him, you know, with any amount of money or hey, I'll give you this or I'll give you that. It does speak a lot to why they are coming after him so hard. And yeah, I would be interested to see what's the dirt on Ron DeSantis because we haven't really seen any. They've painted him as this model citizen, this perfect man and I just don't believe that person exists and so I, I definitely agree we're in a war and people have to choose sides now.
1: So your your take on me saying I'm maybe a l- little bit more in defense of Trump than before, You you're in that same boat?
4: Yeah, I think so. I was always on the Trump train, but right after the 2020 election, I got a little tired because I felt like it was just so hard for me to convince people to see things differently. They were so stuck on the, oh, he's mean or, oh, he's racist. I was frustrated and open to a different candidate. But then I quickly realized that No, they're after this man for a reason. They're trying to take him down for a reason. So he must be the one that we actually need in place because if he wasn't, they wouldn't care. You only go after that person that you're really uh, afraid can do something to your establishment. And so I quickly got back on the Trump train, like, you know, I'm just gonna ride this out with him till the wheels fall off. And yeah, what he said about Kaylee didn't bother me at all. Like I expect him to come out swinging and fighting and that's what he's done.
1: Royce, I credit Donald Trump for opening my eyes to like, wow, there is a rig job here. And again, he didn't articulate or say the things that Alex Jones says or you say, but to have someone sitting in that president's chair is what made me, and, and for him to say fake news and for him to call out these different things are what made me go. Well, hold on, I'm going to go re-listen again to Alex Jones. (laughs) Hold on, I'm going to be real patient with Royce and let him come on and talk over my head. I'm going to do the homework after the show. He's he's the guy that forced me to just look deeper. Mm -hmm. And that's what I guess, if I had to articulate what my skepticism of Ron DeSantis is, He's not doing anything to make me look deeper. He's cleaning up a few little surface, a few problems, I don't want to call them surface level, but he's done a nice job being an effective politician in the state of Florida, but is he a catalyst making me look at the Federal Reserve, look at the central bankers, question globalism? He's not that guy, And, and anybody that's not that guy I'm suspicious
2: of. Look, all you have to do is look at the RNC. The RNC, the the Republican National Committee, they, behind closed doors, want to back Ron DeSantis. Who is the RNC? They're the machinery of the Republican Party, the national aggregate of of, of economic, uh, political, uh, uh, you know, collectivity, right? run by who the donors the verticals The all the donors uh, in, in the in the party and what do they decide where are we going to put money to fight blue states and where are we not going to put money where are we going to put money to question the integrity of elections or challenge the outcome of elections and not going to what is the messaging going to be right now the messaging from the rnc is under no circumstances talk about the integrity of elections and we have to get a little bit more amenable a little bit more friendly when it comes to all of these cultural wedge issues, whether it be the LGBTQ or bringing more women into the party or more blacks into the party or whatever. It's all a political Ponzi scheme and really when you're involved in politics, what you come to realize is the Republican Party is there to do one thing. It's there to take people who are reasonable, who are logical, who are somewhat smarter than the average American citizen, who want to be Republican activists. For this nation who believe in a nation who believe in borders and keep them busy doing nothing. That's what the entire Republican Party has become around the country. And on top of that, they'll slap a few faces on there who say a few outlandish, crazy things that keep certain demographics, people out of the party so that it never expands. Okay, and these are mostly 501C3 white boomers. Go to your local Republican BPOU, of which there are 200,000 over half, 200,000 open precinct committee man seats, which has now become known in the the Make America Great Again movement, the America First movement, as the precinct strategy. If all of us wanted to change the Republican Party and get the McCarthy's and those guys out, the rhinos, we could go sign up to be committee men. We don't. And many people don't because the Republican Party is actually running a counter propaganda initiative to keep people out of the party. They don't want new Republicans. They want it. They want to energize the activists that are already there. Why? They want to maintain the status quo. Why? If you go back to the inception of the Republican Party, the gangs in New York, go watch it. The original two factions of the Ivy League East Coast Republican Party, the Whigs and the Know-Nothings. Who were the Know-Nothings? The Know-Nothings were lily, white, Protestant Republicans who had an axe to grind with Catholics and Jews and blacks. And I'm not no Jew apologist. In fact, many people would probably call in and say they want me off the show for being anti-Semitic. I just give you the history the way it was. Okay, the know nothings were an anti-Catholic, anti-Jewish, anti-black political movement in the Republican Party. And they wrapped themselves in the religious right and the military industrial complex. And many of them are still your rhinos today. Okay, now, besides that, besides that, they let the blacks out of their political propaganda. They left them out. Why? Because the Democrats already had control over the slaves. When this whole deal went down, gangs, and the the Democrats were already running the black folks at that time. So they didn't need to include anti-black propaganda into their political movement. But it was very anti-Catholic and it was very anti-Jewish. And these were your 501. These would become your 501C3 Protestants who say the government and my tax exempt status is above God. We need to keep politics and, and religion separate. We need to, we need to uh, welcome all religions, right? And I love when Tim Gordon came on the show and tried to outline for you how Vatican II was a was a Catholic a, a Catholic chapter in, in our in our church's history, where the Catholic Church is on record as trying to become more Protestant. And this is when much of the pedophilia came in. This is when it became more LGBTQ friendly, more women friendly, more this friendly, more that friendly, more of the world and not of the church. This was on the record of being a movement, a council that was explicitly trying to bring more Protestants back into the church. And what happened? The Catholic Church became more Protestant. Okay, I'm just showing you the history. I know people don't like that, but it's the history. You could go check it. This is all in the This is written. This isn't me talking. This is just the history. You could stop jerking off the Pornhub and go find yourself. Okay. my point is this again, the know nothings, anti-Catholic, anti-Jewish movement. The Democrats already had control over the blacks. This is the uniparty today. The neocons and the rhinos maintain a vast hold on 501C3 Protestants. These are the people who watch Fox News and talk about $900 thefts out of your local department stores and act like it's the sign of the end of the world. Do you think you think that has anything to do with economics? You're a fool. Let me explain this. And this is I'll say this before I go. Let me explain this to you. Democrat cities allowing young black men to come into a store and take $900 worth of merchandise has nothing to do with business money or economics. It doesn't hurt Walmart. It doesn't hurt Target. It doesn't hurt Best Buy. Why? There's already a 2,000% markup on the merchandise, on the products, because they're running a crony capitalist Ponzi scheme. The whole reason why they let them do it is to undermine the virtues of what it means to be American, which are Christian virtues. Fairness, truth, don't steal take a hard day's work, take what you earn and be able to decide what you need for reverses what you want, a, a fight against radical materialism, seek first the kingdom of God. That's why they let them take $900 worth of merchandise. Got nothing to do with the economy, but you venture over to Fox News and they, they're undermining business and the rule of law. The rule of law in this country after World War II, is meant to preserve an economic Ponzi scheme of corrupt central banking status quo. That's why Fox News sold shares to BlackRock. That's why Fox News punted on Dominion. That's why Fox News will try and undermine Donald Trump. And they'll continue to silently side with Ron DeSantis. And there's all you need to know about Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump.
1: Did, Roy, that was awesome stuff. Mm-hmm. Did 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 you suggest the movie Gangs of New York in helping oh, yeah. to understand what you just unpacked? Yeah,
2: yeah the Potpourri, I, right? The kid, the uh, the butcher, right? That was the that was the original um, East Coast, what would become the East Coast Ivy League faction of the early Republican Party there in the East Coast corridor, that has now become much of the donor base, the elitist donor base. Remember. Remember, after World War II, what, 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 sealed, what brought us into alliance with Great Britain in World War II? The Atlantic Charter, right? And there was this Atlanticist movement, one that we still behold to today, that we are an Atlantic power, that we are Atlanticist. We are European. We're not European. We're not Western European. Despite our marriage and love affair with the crown, which we need to divorce from immediately, we are not an Atlantic power. We are a Western Hemisphere power, and really, we're a Pacific power. We're not an Atlantic power. However, the Atlantic Charter, okay, these East Coast Republicans became the Rhino Uniparty. That's what it is. And, 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 and what have they preserved? What have the neocons preserved? the affection with the crown and, and, and protecting Great Britain's interests after World War II. That's what we did. That's what Bretton Woods' conference was. The, the entire global monetary system was restructured on the tail end of the Allies' victory in Europe in World War II, of which we actually laid the platform. For. Now I'm going to say something that sounds anti-Semitic. Forewarning. Spoiler alert. Okay. After World War I, Germany lost. Germany was forced to pay reparations. Guess who paid their reparations? Guess who paid Germany's reparations during after World War I? Wall Street bankers. We did. Our Fed. The Fed fronted the money to pay Germany's reparations for war crimes in World War I. And guess what that led to? That led to the platform that Hitler would then use to galvanize a grassroots German movement that said your Jewish bankers are the reason why the German economy imploded. And it did implode. And guess why it imploded? Because when America's economy hit turbulence at the end of the 20s in the rebuild, they called in the loans on the Germans. They charged the Germans interest and they called in those loans and Germany couldn't pay yet because they weren't up and running yet. They weren't what they would become in World War II. They were on their way. We saw that for them. We saw the opportunity to rebuild a war-torn Germany, and we invested in it because you never let a good crisis go to waste, right? Especially when you're in the money game. When you're in the chicken game, for all my cats in the hood. When you when you're in the chicken game, you never let a good crisis go to waste. You fund a crisis because there's always a profit in the rebuild. We paid their reparations. We said we got you. We'll pay. Then when our economy hit turbulence, we said, you got to make good on the interest. You got to make good on the loans. Germany couldn't do it. Their economy implodes. Hitler comes to power and says, all these bankers are the reason why you're living in abject poverty now. They rise the Nazi party. And what does the Nazi party become? Globalists. Everybody depicts them as nationalists. No, they got going on nationalist rhetoric, but they were globalists. They tried to take the French empire, the British empire and the Russian empire in 10 years. It doesn't get more globalist than that. World War II was a fight between two globalist groups One group won, one group lost And the one group that won Actually had money ties with the group that lost And that's what these jerk-offs at home Don't want to admit They don't want to confront it Because they want to live in this dichotomy Where they can choose one good guy or the other All the easy choices are behind us All the easy decisions are behind us now We've been lied to Double-cross, triple-cross Thank
1: you, Royce That was awesome. I got a lot to think about tonight.
4: (laughs) Yeah, and I think that's what kind of surprised me about the Republican Party. Like, technically, I'm unaffiliated. But when I stopped voting Democrat, I thought, oh, surely the Republicans are really on the right side of things, and they're going to be fighting, and I want to fight alongside with them and bring people from the Democrat Party. And then I realized they don't want, um, they don't want my kind, you know, and it is kind of like they're gatekeepers for, um, you know, the people that actually want to come in and make change and do something. When I noticed that Uh, people like Scott Pressler out here knocking uh, on doors and really trying to get people into the party. They completely ignore him or you know the the whole walk away movement is completely ignored and when I saw they put like Ronald McDaniel right back in position that made me think you know when I hear Royce and you guys talk about the uniparty like there's definitely a uniparty but I think I was blind to that when I first you know, walked away from the Democrat Party, because I just assumed if this isn't the, the good party and the one that wants to see us get ahead, it must be the Republicans. And certainly that has not been the case.
1: Got a lot to unpack tonight, and I, I can't wait. I got a lot to think about here because tomorrow is going to be the first day of Pride Month. And we're gonna go back at this topic in a different way tomorrow. Uh, we're not done today. We're gonna to talk about Pride Month with uh, Pastor Anthony and TJ Mo.
3: It's my obligation,
4: no hate discrimination up your hands for freedom.
2: All right,
1: welcome back time for a little tennessee harmony uh anthony walker in studio with Shamika and i tj mo joining us via skype from st louis anthony if you'd bless our conversation
3: father god we're thankful for today and thankful for your blessings father as we discuss the things today that we will discuss we pray that it's pleasing acceptable in your sight uh, that it is uh, covered with love, but also considers uh, the warnings of your word. Bless us and keep us in Jesus' name. Amen. amen.
1: Uh, so, I want to talk about pride and indul— not <laughs> pride and inclusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, pride Month is all about being inclusive, and and so I'm wondering if. Inclusivity is a big part of the Bible and something that Christians should be worried about. I'm a little skeptical, but, but I'm also concerned like uh, the Dodgers and this Dodgers controversy is bringing into focus the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. And if we could just get them disinvited, that would be considered a victory by Clayton Kershaw and members of the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. They seem to be a, a pride night, that's great. And, and that's a bit baffling to me as a Christian and a believer. Like, pride is not a virtue, and certainly pride in a sexual behavior is not a virtue. And so we've already set up a losing argument. Like, a victory is, hey, these crazy uh, drag queens won't get to mock nuns. But we're gonna celebrate Pride deal because that's inclusive and inclusivity is a great thing. Is, first of all, help me understand just why are Christians, why have we conceded that yeah, we're good with Pride Month?
3: I, I don't, I have no idea what Christians, if they are serious about God's word, if they're serious about living it out, would accept Pride Month, even if we just look at the basic definition of pride, would accept that as okay, but this pride is not just regular run-of-the-mill pride. It is pride in all kinds of sexual promiscuity, all kinds of sexual perversion, and to say, yeah, we're good with that because we want to include you. I don't know. Sexual orientations were already off bounds from God's word. Uh, But the person you're already included in society. So to have a month that highlights, hey, we want to highlight you because of your sexual uh, uh, identity, your sexual perversion, your sexual uh, orientation. That's just already out of bounds from God's word. I mean, Leviticus deals with it. Even just God creating male and female and ordering them in how they direct the family. It's just it's, it's plain and simple. So but what, what's happening is I see a different tone. I see that we have now shifted that word and we've talked about it on the show. We've shifted the word love to mean there's no harsh words said, there's no opposition, there's no correction. So as soon as someone says, hey, Jason, uh, you know, you got to do better with your health. You can say, well, hey, why you hate me? You know, why you hate me? Why don't you love me as I am? And, and it has nothing to do with that. So as it relates to saying, hey, we love you and God loves all of us. But that lifestyle is not accepted in Christ. That lifestyle is not what God desires. That lifestyle is what God commands against. That's not right. So we don't have to celebrate that, but that doesn't mean that we exclude you from humanity. So because they have shifted the ball, they've shifted the goalpost, they've redefined what love is. Now, when somebody says anything against it, uh, it's dangerous. Um, just like the guy, uh, Anthony Bass, you know, to, to retweet something. And, and you saw the, you know, kind of hostage apology that he has to give to say now he's re-educated. Now, now I have a problem with that, Jason. Like I, I tweeted about it today. I love learning and I love education, but, but I don't want to be educated to the point to where what is objectively true is no longer objectively true. Like if we can no longer say that that marriage is for one man and one woman, if we can't say that, if we can't say God created two genders and that just be that, if we can't stand up for our faith, we're in we're already in a world of trouble.
1: TJ, what's your take on how we got to we'll accept Pride Month, but. Drag queens that hate nuns. Look, if it was just drag queens, if they didn't hate nuns, I don't know if there would be any complaint.
3: That was the one question I had (laughs) had about
1: (laughs) it. It was just they wouldn't have any complaints. Yeah.
5: How did we get here? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't love how Kershaw went about it. Um, You know. I think there's a few different ways. I think I think one of them is this is led by corporations who are casting the widest net possible to get the most money. And they don't even care if you like the sport. They don't care if you like their stuff. That Target doesn't care if you want to go in there and and um you know, buy what their home appliance, whatever they have, it doesn't really matter. They're casting the widest net possible. They want your hundred dollars. And so they're the ones in control. Remember these, these corporations are the ones funding the politicians, right? And it's like, how, how, where do all the money come from? It's, it's from wall streets, from all these corporations. So they come up with an idea that, Hey, we have to cast the widest net possible. It doesn't matter um, who's in on what I, I love what Anthony did. He, he, kind of went down a road that I was going of, um, you know, he defined the term love. I would say inclusion is a little more what they redefine. Remember, the left is really, really good at redefining words. They, they use the same word, they change the definition, and then they think you're crazy for now opposing the new definition of the word. You have to operate under the old definition of the word. we We've seen this with, look, they did it with marriage. How can you be against marriage? Marriage is a great thing. You conservatives are all pro-marriage. Yeah, well, I think marriage is between a man and a woman. And so I oppose what you would consider to be gay marriage. I don't call it marriage. I oppose, you know, civil unions or whatever. You know, they, they, they've done it with motherhood, right? Well, A mother is just somebody who identifies as a mother. That's as far as it needs to go. It's, it's not somebody like Shamika, who's actually birthed children. That's a mother. And you go down the line, they've they've done it with racism. And so what they've they've done now with inclusion, instead of before it was a, a word that you tell your second grader, guys, you need to include them at the lunch table. Okay. Be welcoming to everyone. Don't make fun of them. Don't leave them alone. Now it is what Anthony said. It is you can't ever put anyone in a situation where there are standards because what if they don't meet those standards? Now that's exclusionary. So no more standards, no more objective ideas of something being good and acceptable and true. Because if you have those ideas, well, then that means there's something that's bad unacceptable and false. Well, that's not inclusive. So they've done away with all of this stuff. I mean, it's, this is why I say the, the inclusive agenda, the diversity, inclusive agenda, all of that is directly in opposition of the Bible. Cause the Bible is very uh, exclusive in this way, John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the father except through me one way. That's not inclusive of all the other ways. And what they're trying to tell us is that always are good, right? This is a world of universalists, and and so I, I don't believe the Bible is inclusive in that way. Certainly, Jesus was not inclusive, or else he wouldn't have said, "I'm the only way." Um, and so, anyway, long long rambling answer just to tell you this is not scriptural.
1: No, it's a good answer because it goes to this. Shamika, is Christianity inclusive?
4: Not to me. When the Bible says, come out from among them and be separate, that doesn't say inclusive to me. And when I think back in my childhood, we used to have those members only jacket. And when people wore a jacket that kind of looked like a members only jacket, but it wasn't, they got picked on. So I'm trying to figure out why, as Christians, we are having a hard time picking on the people that are wearing the imposter jackets or that are not actually members. And it frustrates me for them to even put this under the umbrella of love, because love is not proud, which would then just exclude pride altogether. And you know, we can't continue to go down this path of love. When I think of love, the opposite of love would be hate. You know, uh, spare the rod, hateth the child. And so even as a parent, there are times when I have to say something that is just harsh to my kids or they may see it as harsh, but it's the truth. And it's exactly what they need to get in step and get in line and to be corrected and to be better people. So I don't understand this idea that Christians need to be so loving to the point that they're scared to tell people what's right and what's wrong and to put their foot down and say, no, you're not going to hang your 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 pride flag in my church. No, I'm not gonna have a drag queen come and speak or perform in the church. No, we are not going to go along with this because it is evil, it's sin, and it's wrong. And this this whole premise of love and just being exclusive, it doesn't even line up with what y'all claim to believe as Christians, you know, you say you believe in the Bible. Let me see it. I go back to this whole thing I say all the time. I'm a fruit inspector. This is what you say you believe. So then why can't I tell? Why don't I see the fruit of that? Yes, you don't have to be, you know, mean to people. I don't want to see anybody, you know, harmed or hurt or murdered. But that doesn't mean that I have to accept your lifestyle or shut up and not tell you that it's wrong. One of the things I was telling you earlier today is it frustrates me when people feel like anything that you say against the LGBTQ and the P is silent community is bashing. I hate the term gay bashing. I have gay friends, okay, we have to say that, right? Got white, Jew, (laughs) you know, I got all those types of friends. They understand that I don't agree with that lifestyle. Does that mean that I wouldn't go to bat for them or, you know, if somebody was trying to beat them up or hurt them, I would. But I do not think men should lay with men and women should lay with women. That's just the bottom line. And if they have a problem with me saying that, then truly we aren't friends. You're looking for a puppet. You're looking for somebody to promote you in your sin. I'm not doing that. The same way if I was a murderer, I wouldn't expect somebody to be saying, you know, let's get her this murdering flag. Let's just, you know, promote her in her murdering. And maybe, you know, I'm not going to murder, but you know, I'm not going to tell her murder is wrong. You know, it's just it's silly to me. And it frustrates me because someone said to me in this song that I'm doing with Bryson, I'm going to be gay bashing. And you don't get more harsh than God calling it an abomination, period. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: There's, you know. That's that that whole deal though about changing, as we've been talking about, changing words, changing the meaning, like gay bashing, just because I disagree. Just because I look at the scriptures and the scripture, the guideline, the the instruction manual for my life. God himself, the creator, says that's an abomination. I have to leave it at that. And and, and, and if I disagree, doesn't mean I hate you. It doesn't mean I'm bashing you. I'm not abusive. Even the terminology that, you know, these particular days, the trans day of visibility, the uh, (laughs) LGBTQ, all these days of visibility. They're they're saying it as if, well, we don't exist. So you're treating us as if we don't exist. You're here. You claim to be whatever you desire. I see you, but I don't have to honor, I don't have to highlight, I don't have to praise that particular lifestyle. Pretty good example there about murder theft, etc. We're not going to have a thieves, you know, day of visibility. All those people have stole stuff. You know, let's recognize and honor them today. But this is a problem because I'll I'll bring it back to the root. It's a problem because we don't, we no longer take our identity from God. We want our identity to be in everything else rather than what God has called us to. So because of that, you got to recognize my identity. You got to recognize how I say and who I say I am versus who God says I am. And that's the idolatry in it all.
1: And uh, Anthony, if you could just give an authoritative opinion on just the word inclusivity, and as it relates to Christianity, the Bible, because they have really turned this into the key for, are you being inclusive? And if you're not, you're not a good person and be, the most important thing any employer, any business, mm-hmm. any group, is like, cap side, are you being inclusive? Is everybody can Jason Whitlock get in when his GPA was a 1.7? Yeah. And you know, and I was that's I literally had that. It's like, no, they didn't want me. <laughs> and you know, my GPA wasn't good enough. They didn't need to be inclusive and lower their standards to let me in. But it's like, as Christians, Mm -hmm. we have to lower all in standards to be inclusive. Mm
3: -hmm. I just, that can't be consistent. So the term, as we've been trying to deal with, the term inclusive carries with it the connotation that this is forced, this is mandated. So it is, as you pointed out, we have the group, we have the fraternity, the sorority, et cetera. And... To be inclusive means that I have to grab you and force you in. Biblically, we don't find that terminology. We don't find that mandate. What we do find is that all are welcome. Now, welcome means these are the standards that you have to live by, but you're welcome to live by that. Jesus says, if anybody wants to come follow me, that's everybody, right? Anybody want to come follow me? You have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Now, now I determine whether I want to be in or if I want to stay out in the world. Mm -hmm. But if I'm in now, I recognize I have to live by God's standards. So that means that, yes, I'm free to do all that I would like that are according to his standards. Otherwise, I am excluding myself. Mm -hmm. I'm telling God, no, I'd rather not. I'd rather do it my way. But as we've been talking about now, we've taken this term inclusion to mean, OK, here are our standards. But that means that Jason can't be in. Oh No, let's put him in. Now, now I'm forcing this. I'm mandating this. And that I, I don't find any scripture to that. Jason, you're welcome to live by these standards. And if you're not going to, that's not me excluding you. You're excluding yourself. You're right. saying, hey, I don't want to be apart so so that that shifts the blame that shifts the narrative now that's on you so even as it relates to our church anybody that desires to come they're welcome to come here but what we live by in our church we live by God's word and that's everybody on everything so if we're looking at well well he does such and such he may not struggle with that sin but that sin's wrong we got to call it out etc so that's hopefully that Kind of answers the question.
1: It does. I'm going to, for me, and TJ, you hop in after or follow in on this point. I, I sit here and I'm going to now uh, secularize the discussion a little bit and just say how it applies and, and the mindset that I had when I was a young person as a college football player. There were certain things I didn't want to buy into. And I was very frustrated that. The coaches treated me in a way uh, that wasn't inclusive, and, and as a young person, you know, I, you know, I thought they were all wrong, and and I would look at the guys that would buy in, and we call them brown nosers, or we call them whatever, but they just bought in, and they got the rewards of buying in. I wouldn't buy into everything, and so me and the coaches had a lot of friction, and and it wasn't literally until I graduated college. and and started moving into the real world that it just dawned on me like, no, buying in is the key to success. And so it's like, if I'm going to be a successful person uh, in journalism, I need to show up on time, I need to work harder than everybody else, Mm -hmm. I need to... There's all these behaviors that I have to do to show that I'm bought in. This is what the Bloomington Herald Times needs me to do, or the Charlotte Observer. I, I, I have to buy in. And then once you have success then the, the, you are granted a little bit more freedom to put your personal touches on things mm-hmm. or whatever. But that whole buying in at the beginning is, is important. And so when I hear this whole thing of just come as you are and you're everybody's included and if you're uh, having uh, premarital sex with... Uh, someone in the church, if you're having gay sex, if you're, it's all, we just got to love everybody and everybody, everybody's everybody got to be, it's how, you can't win that way. You can't win as a football team, a basketball team, a baseball team, and you can't win as Christian institutions if there are no standards. TJ, I know you were a guy that bought in <laughs> your whole career and received the benefits of that, and I'm sure there were some guys that were, well, I run faster than TJ, but do you work as hard? Are you as reliable as TJ? I- I'm sure you dealt with some of that.
5: Yeah, they all ran faster than me. They were all taller. They were all uh, <laughs> darker. Right? There was. A, I was a, So, I'm just. There's this. You've said this dozens of times since I've I've been around, Jason. We, we approach the world as if we're the smartest people to ever live, but we're the dumbest. It's like these standards and principles are not tried and true throughout civilizations across history. We didn't grab these out of nowhere. First of all, in scripture, we're taking them directly from the God of the universe who created these principles, you know, and decided which ones work and which ones don't. So we know where we're getting them. But let's say you don't believe any of that. Open a history book and just see, open a business book. And just see, live life for 10 minutes and just see which standards work and which standards don't. Can you imagine, Jason, when when you were at Ball State, if they tried to be inclusive to the uh, fourth string left tackle and you had to block next to him? How would have that gone for you? It's like you got to block two or three guys every time. Well, that's what's happening to these people in the corporate world. It's like you just put an idiot in a position that now I have to cover. we got people out there doing two and three and four jobs trying to cover for the people that don't belong. When I hear the word inclusive now, this is why I was so disappointed in in Chick-fil-A, what you're telling me is, hey, we got a whole bunch of people in this corporation that don't belong here. That's what inclusive means today. It's not all are welcome. That's a totally different deal. When you're telling me you're inclusive, it's just a big sign that says, hey, we got a, people, a lot of people in this building and over their head, come on in. And so that's very frustrating. I do like the all are welcome thing, but it's like, it's, it's what you, you, always, you like to use the term ante up, right? Um, go to a poker table and just say, nah, be more inclusive. I'm not throwing my ante in, but I still want to play and see how long they let you at that table, right? It's a, you have to ante up. There are certain sets of expectations for everybody in the world. If you want to succeed, that are going to work. Instead, we water down everything. And the few people that are qualified are having to do the several different jobs to pick up everybody else. And and we're all worse off for it.
3: So so in John chapter six, uh, Jesus deals with a scenario where he's teaching uh, some hard teaching. And the text says at the end of John chapter six, many of his disciples left. Now, at that point, Jesus could have lowered the standard and said, wait wait a minute, guys, hold on. I know that's hard, but, but, but wait a minute. Come on, come on back. He didn't do that. He let them walk. And his mm-hmm. next turn was to look at the 12 apostles and say, are you guys leaving too? Hmm. He was not bending or reshaping or adjusting the standard because a group of people left and said that was too hard to do. We're all called to repent. We're all called. So I can't come to God and say, man, I love all this stuff you got going on. But but this is how I want to do it. And if you if you're going to be an inclusive God, then you're going to change that and allow me to be. No, he'll let me walk because he has the standard. If we're going to live by God's standard, if we're going to live. And and that's the standard that has sustained throughout all of time and eternity. Then we got to get get on, get on board with God.
1: I'm excited about what's coming this month because I think people are frustrated. I think people have figured out like, hey, man, this slippery slope thing is real because I think 10, 15 years ago, oh, there's no slippery slope. They they just want to get married. That's (laughs) it. And it's going to be over. And now here we are and it's like, oh, wow, there is a slippery slope. And so I, I actually... And TJ and I were having this argument either yesterday or this morning. And even though I'm critical of Clayton Kershaw and the athletes and blah, blah, I do see them inching towards the truth. And and it's because it's been so shoved in our face Mm -hmm. that, and I look at Samantha Ponder over at ESPN. She came out today and doubled down on her position. And tomorrow ESPN's gonna fly a trans flag over their campus to celebrate the kickoff of, of Pride Month. And it's, it's for anybody that's a believer, it's becoming so apparent like, whoa, our values are being pushed out. These values that are really evil and wicked are being pushed in. And so I'm actually in kind of an upbeat, optimistic mood that people are going to be provoked The the Christians are going to have to come out of the closet. They're being forced out of the closet. Mm -hmm. Am I foolish for having that optimism?
4: No, I think you're right. I think because of everything that we've seen the past few years and now, especially them coming after children so hard, people are deciding to choose a side. It's like you're being forced to choose a side Mm -hmm. because we, you know, so many of us like myself, I walked away from the church and I was fine. Like, okay, I don't need to speak up they'll do it, you know, I don't need to speak out. There's pastors and ministers and prophets and so-called apostles, they'll do it. And I was forced to actually have to take a stand. And when I saw something that wasn't right, I had to cry loud and spare not. And so I think that there are so many people that either you're gonna be quiet, you're gonna be silent and you're gonna be miserable or you're going to have to choose a side and and say, okay, this has gone a little bit too far and I just can't sit silently anymore. So I definitely believe that people are going to this month, just come out of the closet. And this whole trick uh, about, you know, if you love them, you would bring them in. They've been doing this trick for a long time. Like I can remember them saying, oh, why would a loving God send his people to hell? Huh. Well, he doesn't. This is your choice. Choose yes. ye this day yes. whom you will serve. Yes. So, yes. you know, you got to make a choice. And I think that people are going to, to be forced to or have to, you know.
3: You, you know the rainbow that we've been talking about, right? So the world had become so wicked that it made God second guess himself. He said, man, I, maybe, maybe, I, maybe I just need to wipe it out and I'll start all over. And so he gives Noah the mandate. Hey, let everybody know, preach the word, build an ark, uh, because one day it's gonna rain. And God saved everybody who decided to choose to obey the mandate. He, he saved mm-hmm. everybody who did that. And everybody who didn't, they were lost. And out of the entire planet, only eight people made that decision. So, so mm-hmm. don't tell me that God, being a loving God, will say, oh, I don't know, there's so many of them. I don't wanna lose that many folk. Oh, there's so many. Everybody on the planet except eight folk. He's serious. Mm-hmm. And then he gives us a rainbow sign, a promise, and a sign of his promise. The rainbow itself isn't the promise, but it's a sign of his promise that the next time I'm not destroying this world by water, but there will be fire. So there's a promise and there's a warning. And what mm. we must do as Christians is, is align ourselves with God to know he's serious about his promises, but he is very serious about his warnings as well.
5: TJ,
1: you so,
3: optimistic? um
5: i want to follow in on our conversation from from yesterday and expand a little bit and and say why i'll say not yet so that's my official answer not yet i'm not optimistic (laughs) um you you talked about the slippery slope and this was our discussion yesterday that there is no slippery slope back the other direction there's a the, the hill only goes one way it is a slow miserable crawl back up the hill that nobody ever makes and so you, you go look at the history of civilizations. Um, Sodom and Gomorrah is a good one. Obviously, we just talked about the rainbow. That was the entire earth. And so you, you go, the, when people go down the road we're going, they don't return. They collapse. So you, you like to tell me, I just want to microwave everything. That's because I know we're close to collapse. We don't have time for a slow walk back. It is a dead sprint back up this mountain. And we need bold men with some courage who are willing to say more than, hey, I just don't think you, you should make fun of religion. Everything else, it's all good. Drag queens at the schools, no problem. Drag queen story hour, don't care. Uh, just don't make fun of religion. That's what Clayton Kershaw did. Uh, that doesn't make me optimistic. That, that tells me we have mostly cowardly men still walking around, and that's the most courageous among us. So no, not, not yet.
1: That's a negative note to end the show. (laughs) Good thing we got uh, a prayer meeting that we can pray about. We're going to pray over TJ and pray some optimism into him. Anyway, uh, that's it and that's all uh, for us today. Cue up some harmony. We'll see you tomorrow.
4: So divided, stop fighting and stand tall. We used to be a nation, one united. Now we're headed for a downfall. God, let your light shine down. What we need more than anything. So tell us Cause together we're so much stronger God let your light shine to me Open up your Mm -hmm. eyes and see